I'm David Manilow, and welcome to The Dining Table. Joining me on the table today, Scott Harris, whose first restaurant in Lakeview, an Italian gem, was one of the early restaurants that made me fall in love with dining out. People come in, we call it the five-second rule. Give them five seconds. Look them in the eye and ask them how their day was and actually mean it. Actually mean it, you know, sincerely. Chef Harris still has his original, but has added 25 more. We'll talk about his career, the current Chicago restaurant scene, and he and I will recommend three old-school seafood spots. Also, Ali Marotti will join me from the Cranes newsroom to report on the reopening of a loop hotspot for the City Hall circuit, just in time for the mayoral election. Joining me now is Scott Harris from Scott Harris Hospitality, who has been doing great things in restaurants for 30 years, starting with Mia Francesca back in the day. Scott, how's it going? Hi, David. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, 32 years ago. Oh, my God. That's unbelievable. I was a toddler when I used to go there. That's for sure. That's for sure. <laughs> I have a first question for you. Tell me about your favorite Chicago restaurant and why. Oh, that's easy. That's uh, Shaw's Crab House, the Blue Crab Lounge. I don't really sit in the restaurant side. I sit in the, the Blue Crab Lounge side because you're greeted with open arms. Uh, I don't think I've ever got a uh, any kind of grit to my oysters in all the years I've been eating there. And it's just a great place to go. It's my neighborhood place. I don't live far from there. Eve Rubar uh, was a chef partner there. I know Kevin Brown very well. That's his wife's uh, maiden name. Hmm. But uh, I used to work with Eve at Ambria when uh, he would bring in the crab after after we closed up Ambria. He was a chef there. and He'd bring it in. He'd do all his test testings and tastings there. Wow. So we ate a lot of crab after hours. But the it's just a wonderful place to go. It's casual, fun. Uh, the bartenders are always open arms. They, you know, they know your name. They know what you're drinking before you even sit down. It's just that kind of joint. And do you have a go-to dish? The oysters, uh, obviously the king crab legs. Uh, the sushi is always fantastic. Um, Oyster Rockefeller are great. You know, it's all we, the perch. My wife is a big perch. And the griddled shrimp, just amazing. Get those, those dishes, you'll be very happy. I, I would say one thing. It's so interesting to have a chef restaurateur like yourself be a regular at another spot? Well, I've got my sushi places. I've got my steak joints, but that is my once a month, twice a month to go place Sundays with the family. That's the place to go. We know everybody there. Uh, Mauricio, the bartender has been there forever. and We're just friends. We're, we're friends and family. That's great. So, you know, I'm doing a little thing now where I say, if you like this place, you might also like that. Have you ever been to Boston Fish market in Des Plaines. Are you kidding me? Another one of my favorites. Amazing. I've been going there for, I don't know how long it's been open, but I feel like we've been going there for seven, eight years at least. Just amazing. I always want to do a place like that. And that guy owns like, he owns like boats in different parts of the world that he gets his shift sent to. The brothers are very cool. They work hard, those guys, I tell you. Hardworking Greeks. Amazing. Uh, unbelievable. Ladders of food with the bread, the garlic bread. Our corporate office is out in Bensonville, and we order from at least once a week. <laughs> That's so. Have you ever speaking of speaking of uh, places that have um, shellfish as well? Have you ever been to the half shell? Oh gosh, back when I, <laughs> in, my, in my days, back when I lived over in that neighborhood, I'd go I, again. I'd be there every Sunday. You know, just amazing place. You know, those old places are just classic. They have certain vibes to them. You know, that you feel the feel you can't get anywhere else. In that place, for those who don't know, is like it's on diversity. It's been there for. Ever, it's this little tiny hole in the wall. I used to go there when I was like in, I don't know, my 20s, 30s. You bring a date there, it's just a cool place to hang, you know? That's that's awesome. All right, let's talk about you. So 
your first restaurant was Mia Francesca, correct? Yes, correct. I'm just going to tell you about for myself. That place was like transformational for me. And I'm not kidding. I'm not, I'm not BSing you. It was my date place. It was my meet friends place. The energy was great. It made me fall in love. This is long before I had the TV show or anything like that. It made me fall in love with restaurants. Like I get a little, I get a little tingly, like talking about it because I have all these great memories of exactly what a restaurant should be. Good food, good friends, camaraderie, energy. So, you know, how did you kind of create that when you first started? You know, I can't put that all on me. It was my, I partnered up with a, a girl named Carol Watson. She, she introduced me to, they used to own, my partners used to own Danny's uh, little bar. Sure. Bucktown. Yeah. We used to go there all the time after, after I worked at a place called Angelo the Romans, where I got my passion for Italian. And so Carol was a waitress with me, and we go over to Danny's, and Michael and Terry were there. And Carol came to me one day and said, hey, Terry and Michael might want to do a place. And between us, we knew all the right people to hire, and it was just a magical. When we opened, it was magical. Our, our waiters were just full of energy. I had worked with my cooks for years, so they knew the kind of food I wanted to do. And from day one, we did the right food. Uh, reasonably priced and just fun. But our servers, our staff, back then I would have put against anybody in the country. The energy was just dynamic. I remember, I, th- I think I remember, you also had like a back room, right? You'd walk through the place. And go- yeah, that was a garage, old garage. We call it the coach house now. It's pretty cool. A little hiding back room back there. But it's funny, we used to have weights and uh, they used to line up around four o'clock. And, and you know, now today my partners and I talk like, okay, why don't we make people wait out in the freezing cold in the middle of winter until five o'clock. Why don't we just open up at three o'clock and let them in? You know? <laughs> but that, but it was, it was, it was special. It was an event. You had to figure it out, and it was. Ah, I just, I, I just love it. It's still around. And how many Francescas do you have now? Uh, now, now we have thirteen. Wow, thirteen. You, you start a restaurant. You've worked in the business. You open me a Francesca. It's successful. People, there's energy. It's like people love it. Did you ever think that you would go from chef owner to owner of 13 Francescas, and then you have multiple brands. Yeah, we have nine brands, 26 restaurants total. No, dude, I never thought I, I please, I was happy to have one. I was, as a young chef, as you're coming up in your 20s, you're just dreaming of having your own restaurant. And then just uh, little by little, it happened. There was no business plan. We go out to Naperville. We, we didn't even know there was I-88 to get out there. We took, my partners drove out there, my partner's old F-150 truck. We took Ogden all the way out there. Drove around the blocks uh, around Naperville, and there was an old, uh, it was the original uh, city hall of Naperville. There was a four lease sign. Uh, my partners, I lifted him up in the window. He took a look in there, and, uh, and uh, within a few weeks, we had the lease there. There was no rhyme or reason. It was just gut feeling, and didn't even know there was a Naperville back then in 1994. <laughs> That's still going strong uh, 30 years later. You know, I used to go to the one in, I used to have one in Northbrook, right? I mean, you still do, right? I used to go to that. And they all, they all, same thing. They all, they all feel good. You know, they, they feel, and it, it, you know, people who live in the suburbs, they want a place that I think they're happy that, that you're there, but they want a place that they can call their own. I don't want to say it has a downtown vibe, right? You know, you always know you're going to get a, a great meal at a reasonable price. And you're, what it is, is my people have been with me the whole time. You know, we've got waiters that have been there the whole time. They know the families, the kids have grown up with them. And that's been real important to us to keep that going. You know, now the kids are, you know, most kids, they go to college, they come back, they always come back to nest by their, you know, they'll move into the city for a few years, they end up getting married, 
and they always move back to the suburbs, and all of a sudden now they're bringing their kids to the baptisms, the communions, the bar mitzvahs, the, all the parties. It's, it's just, it's been, the time's gone too fast, let's put it that way. Was it difficult to kind of give up a little bit of control? Because you can only be in so many places at one time, right? So you used to, like, when you're when you're at Mia Francesca and you're running the show, you can see everything, you have, you have people to help you. But when you start getting to five, six, 10, 12, whatever restaurants, you you can't. Is that difficult? It was it wasn't difficult for myself. It was difficult for the customers because the customers got to know me, Mia Francesca. I didn't do another restaurant for two years. I really knew most of the people that came in the door, go visit them at the table, sit down with them, have a glass of wine with them. And so when I left, even though probably my cooks were doing all the food anyway, I was more the schmoozer at that point, still the food's not that good anymore. Just in their mind, Scott's not here. It's not as good as it used to be. And that took, I did Naperville. Then Naperville, I was there for the year when I opened that. Then I left there, they felt the same way. So finally, I just started pulling myself out of being the front man. And that was, it was hard, yeah. It was hard to go from a into, you know, small five, six restaurants to then all of a sudden having 26. It's, you know, a big change. What's the secret sauce, though? What makes your restaurant successful? What makes any restaurant successful in your mind? Well, of course, you have to have good food and good service. That's basic. That's basic one-on-one restaurant. I, I think we create an event. I think we create a, a place to come uh, and just have a great time. Relax. Enjoy yourself. I, I tell my servers, my my host at the front door, my management, please, when people come in, we call it the five-second rule. Give them five seconds. Look them in the eye and ask them how their day was and actually mean it. Actually mean it, you know, sincerely. And we have that rule in place and I think that's what it is. We just, we're family. We get to know our customers. And I think that's what it's all about, especially in the suburbs. It's all the same. You know, the people come to us once a week, twice a month. And that's getting to know the kids, getting to know the kids' names. You know, the, the customers invite our servers over to our house for Sunday dinners. It's, it's that kind of feel. And Fat Rosie's is just we create a party. It's an event when you come there. And uh, same with our other concepts. Vasili's, our Greek restaurant in Naperville, same kind of feel. That's wild. And so when you're when you're hiring staff, you must look for a certain type of, you know, really welcoming person. We look for the per- people that have personality. We can teach them everything else, but we need personality. You have to be outgoing, fun, energetic, and just love people. You love to talk to people. You like to have fun. That's what we look for at first. We can have uh, four-star waiters from Alinea come by, but if they have zero personality, it's kind of like we don't want them. What do you think the changes have been in the Chicago restaurant scene, you don't have to go back 30 years, but even the last 10 years, can you, do you think you can articulate changes? I, I, I'm having a little trouble. I mean, and I'll, I'll preface by this. Chicago is, you know, meat and potatoes town. Then it kind of went into like being known for its, like in some ways, avant-garde, right? You had all these from Trotter to Alinea to some of the other places. Well, what, what, what do you think the changes have been recently? I think the young chefs now, you see the new openings are, these young chefs doing sushi with the omakase tastings. A lot, of, a lot of exciting things going on there. We have a lot of uh, French's come back strong. Um, you know, the Asian barbecue, Indian, Filipino. You know, a lot of diverse dining right now. A lot of cool chefs coming up with great ideas. Great ideas. The cooking changed over the years so much, you know, with gluten-free and vegan and pescatarian and all the rest of it. But these young chefs are doing some great stuff. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I think a lot of it, it's it, some of the countries that, that you're talking about, it's it, we're getting more elevated. So you might have had the hole in the wall, whatever, but now you're getting like, like you look at Kasama, 
Kasama is Filipino, you, there is a there is a smattering of Filipino places. They're usually small. Kasama is doing a Filipino tasting menu, you know, for a couple hundred bucks. Okay, so I want to talk to you about your latest your latest venture, Smoke Show. <laughs> Great name. <laughs> Tell me about that. You know, it's been a passion of mine for probably fifteen years to do barbecue. And uh, we were talking about it, and I had a place called Zade's there. It was a live music venue. It just didn't work out during COVID and whatnot. So we said, what are we going to do with this place? What are we going to do with them? And all of a sudden, I had a, my one chef, he's a Persian agent. He runs some of my Francesca restaurants. This is Chef Dan Moody and my, my talk executive chef, Jason Euler. He says, you know, barbecue is my passion. So he starts making us on Sunday afternoons his personal barbecue brisket, his ribs, his rubs. And we're like, are you kidding me? Where have you been hiding this? That's how Smoke Show came up. It's got, uh, you know, your typical barbecue stuff. And we got a bunch of, we got the atomic fries, which are waffle fries with mac and cheese on top with pulled pork with barbecue sauce. And they're just insane. They're insane. We also have the heart attack sandwich. You know, you can imagine what that's like. But this guy just came out of nowhere with barbecue. And I think he's going to win some awards. But I'm really happy with the concept. And it's a concept that I think has legs that we can roll out of eventually. That's great. Yeah, I, it's funny. I can, you get excited talking about it. I can tell. Oh. I get excited talking about all my concept, but this one's special. It really is. I, you know, I love barbecue. It's just great food. Now, that being said, we got to figure out, you know, you can only barbecue how much, once a month maybe. So we're figuring out how to make some creative sandwiches, you know, obviously during Lent, some fish options. So we're having a lot of fun with it, actually. Country bands on the weekends. It's country honky-talk kind of place. So it's just fun. Again, come in. We're giving you a, an event. I like it. It's, where is it exactly? It's out in April, 200 East uh, Chicago Avenue. We have three restaurants right in the right walking distance from each other. We have Fat Rosie's, Devante's going to be coming. Devante will be coming up. That's my Enoteca you know, Italian. That'll be coming up probably April 1st. Then we just opened Smoke Show, and they're all within walking. I mean, really, you can throw a baseball, you can hit each one of them. I'm, I might have to do a, a Scott Harris crawl sometime soon. Well, we're going to have one of those soon. There you go. We have uh, five concepts in that town, all within walking distance. So we're actually talking about a, a crawl. And so what, what, next you're running for mayor? What's going on? Mayor of Naperville? You have to, you have to change residency, I think. I just enjoy doing restaurants. It's a, it's a wonderful town. It really is. The people are so nice and they're very accepting. It's, it's just a really wonderful town to be in. And how do you spend your time, you know, professionally? How do what do you, what do you do? Do you, do you spend more time on the concept and the tastings or do you quality control? What is it? Myself, I, I, I'm a money guy. I raise the money for the projects, and I also am the creator of the projects. I'm very, that's, what, that's one of my biggest assets, being the creative director of, you know, coming up with these concepts like Smoke Show. Uh, Fat Rosie's was a big one I came up with. We're working on a Vinny's Clam Bar that will be coming this spring. Just a great concept with my chef, Pete DeRugo, who's just an insane, crazy chef. His mind goes like mine goes, blah, you know, boom. But, you know, it's just fun. I, I love doing it. You know, now I have... Uh, I have the people above me that are telling me, Scott, we need to focus on Fat Rosie's, grow Fat Rosie's, grow out of state and be done. I like doing new concepts. It's exciting for me. You know, when people say, when are you going to retire? I don't golf. What do I do? <laughs> Drive my wife crazy. This is what I do. It's what I do. I, I, you know, it's a true American story. You know, never worked a day in your life. It's true. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Hey, Scott Harris, man, it was great catching up with you. Really, and continued success. And I'm going to go out to Naperville. I'll do. The, I'm going to do this. If I don't see you, I'll do the solo crawl. But maybe I'll get a chance yeah, to see you. Bring the family, bring friends. We'll have some fun together. I love it. Great being with you. Thanks again. Take care. 
Crane's Food and Restaurant reporter Ali Marotti joins me now with, I think, a buffet of information. How's it going, Ali? It's going great. How are you, David? Really good. So um, you've got multiple stories that you're covering. Tell, tell us about it. Yeah, first course here. Uh, it's about 312 Chicago, the Italian restaurant that's right there at the corner of Randolph and LaSalle in the Loop. It is opening for the first time since COVID-19 shut it down three years ago almost. This is right across from City Hall, so it's kind of a, a go-to lunch spot for you know politicians that work there. And um, it's becoming increasingly rare to see these restaurants reopen that have been closed since the pandemic struck. It's been so long. Obviously, most of them have just closed completely or reconcepted or what have you. Um, But this one, it's um, sort of run by the Allegro Hotel. The same management company is involved. Um, And so I think that gave them a little bit of leeway here. But they're really banking. You know, we've talked we've talked previously about how some restaurants downtown are still struggling to see their lunch business return at the levels it was at pre-pandemic. But for 312 Chicago specifically, you know, they're right next to the Cadillac Theater. They've got the hotel guests. They've got kind of the built-in office workers, if you will, from City Hall. So I think that could, um, you know, shelter them a little bit from some of the challenges that are occurring with other restaurants. So we'll see. It'll be kind of interesting to see this uh, corner be revived. So it sounds like it's a good sign. It is a little strange that the restaurant would be closed for that long and where I assume the hotel was open. Yeah, the the hotel I think was closed for the normal amount of time and was open again and same with the theaters, right? I don't know exactly how all the theaters are doing and how many people have come back or the seats filled, but they're they're doing shows, you know. So you have that. I was also looking at uh you know, I, I frequently look at the Chicago Loop Alliance puts out office occupancy numbers. We're still only at about 50% of where we were pre-pandemic. That's kind of dismal. But for the fourth quarter of last year, you know, uh, pedestrian count was up and hotel count was up about 90%-ish. That is the holiday season, you know, so there's a lot of people down there shopping and doing special holiday things that wouldn't be down there maybe on a March morning or afternoon, right? But you're seeing recovery in those other areas. So if you're a restaurant that isn't just dependent on office workers for lunch, I think you have a little bit better of a chance. And they're, especially with LaSalle Street, I think they're they're reimagining what that's going to be in the future because they've lost so many tenants, right? Exactly. There's a lot of change still going on in the loop. Yeah, for sure. So as 312 Chicago opens, there's a uh, big chain that is filing for bankruptcy. Yes, Corner Bakery Cafe. It's a fast, casual breakfast and lunch chain that was originally started by Let Us Entertain You. They filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection recently. So Corner Bakery, which was, I think it was like Corner Bakeries and Maggiano seemed to be like intertwined in some way, at least back in the day. And I know Corner Bakery, it's a cute concept, and I think most of their stores were actually on the corner. So they'd be like corner bakery. They were trying to kind of make you think of like the old corner bakery with which, you know, you could buy into or not. But, uh, and then lettuce must've sold that years and years ago. Exactly. So let's go through the history. It's sort of interesting. Um, Lettuce Entertain You founded it in 1991 and River North was the first location. It later sold off the chain along with Maggiano's. So I think that's why we think of them kind of in the same vein because same thing, they started Maggiano's and sold it off too. So they sold both of them to this Dallas-based company called Brinker International. 
Since then, Corner Bakery's changed hands several times. It's no longer under the same ownership group as Maggiano's. There's a lot of private equity involvement, you know. So um, really during the pandemic, they suffered a lot just being a go-to lunch and breakfast place. Breakfast places during the pandemic were decimated. I mean, even McDonald's, you know, they talk a lot about how they talked a lot about how their their breakfast business was really dismal just because people weren't going in. You know, they weren't grabbing their morning coffee, their morning breakfast sandwich. It's recovered a little bit, but for places that are still in kind of the urban core areas, it, it's been really rough. So they've got 20 locations in Illinois, but overall they have 138 locations. Um, I got this information from market research firm Technomic, which they do store count and follow a bunch of other things. They told me that store count peaked in 2015 with almost 200 locations. And in the seven or eight years since, store count has declined every single year. Well, I know there's a few. I, I still remember, I think, going to the corner bakery. I could be wrong. Like Grand, where the Maggiano's are, where, where the Maggiano's is on Grand. And I it was this cute concept that I think kind of dwindled. I know it expanded in a number of stores, but I don't know. It just didn't seem like to be a place that it wasn't destination for me anyway. Yes. That was, you know, when it, the store count peaked in 2015, that was my first full year living in Chicago. And I lived in the loop actually. And we would go a lot because there was one right across the street and it was basically the only thing that would be open on the weekends back then. <laughs> so I still have my go-to order, you know, the Anaheim Panini, but um, I have not been since the pandemic. So, you know, I, I don't even... Not, I don't walk by that corner as much. I'm not sure if that location's even still there. You know, I hear you. And so the last one is is I think a, a kind of a a test run for Shake Shack that I think is fascinating. So tell me about that. Yeah, this one definitely caught my eye. So there are a handful of Shake Shacks around the country, including the one in the West Loop, that are coming off doing this basically a marketing stunt where they transform a portion of their dining room into kind of a fine dining area. They offer a pre-fixed menu for $20 and it features all of the chain's white truffle items, which that's kind of what they're playing up. It's these new items. Um, and, you know, it seems like a pretty good deal, right? So for 20 bucks, here's what you get. You get the white truffle burger, their white truffle shroom burger, which I think is their plant-based sure. one. Parmesan fries with white truffle sauce, unlimited canned wine, <laughs> a shake, a beverage, also unlimited, a little bottle of truffle oil, and a chocolate truffle for dessert. I love that. 20 bucks. And and so it's so they're turning Shake Shack into what, like date night? I mean, it's uh Yeah. And and it's you know, there's a white tablecloth, there's quote fine china that it's set with. You get your canned wine in a wine glass. The picture they provided shows candles. So it, so basically, I talked to an expert about this. You know, why are they doing this? What's what's the hype? And, you know, he was telling me that typically they're less, these promotions are less about driving sales and more about generating buzz around new menu items, sure. which makes sense. And, yeah. you know, interesting, too, that it, it's, he said, generating buzz among the employees, too, to kind of show them, hey, this new menu item is special. Make sure you're playing mm-hmm. it up when people come in. So this this um, fine dining makeover, it just ran from February 27th through March 2nd, but the menu items are still there. They're still on the menu. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. Well, I, you know what it seems to say to me, too? It kind of elevates the brand a little bit, and so it separates them from other fast food places because you could see that happening. It's like, oh, truffled. You know, I, I, look, I'm a 
sucker for truffle fries. I got to be honest. Same. Like, oh, I'm in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, interesting too, because when I was reading it, I thought, you know, that's a pretty good deal for 20 bucks, which yeah. a lot of companies are doing nowadays, even though inflation has eased a little bit. The main focus from so many, all you know, all shapes and sizes of restaurants, even if it's like a tasting menu, I've talked to chefs that do Michelin starred chefs that are thinking about this, right? It's it's offering a, a good value, something that your consumers are going to perceive as a good value. And then you remember that because you're like, oh, yeah, I got all that food for 20 bucks. I'm going to go back there some other time and try it again. Love it. Great stuff, Allie. I'll talk to you next week. Yeah, thanks for having me. That's our show this week. Special thanks to Chef Scott Harris. Remember, you can follow Ali Marotti's reporting for Cranes at ChicagoBusiness.com. Check our show notes for links to all the places we've talked about. Just so you know, The Dining Table with David Mamelow is produced by Todd Manley at Cranes Audio Studios. If you can take a moment now to give us a rating review, that would be awesome. That's the best way for others to discover our conversations. I'm David Mamelow. Thanks for listening. 